Geek News Reviews, Commentary, not just another podcast, on the Ordinary Paintball Broadcast. This is all Kyle's mom's fault. Shut up, Cartman. Kyle's mom is the one that started that damn club, and all because she's a big, fat, stupid bitch. Don't say it, Cartman. Way. Don't do it, Cartman. Way. I'm warning you. Okay, okay. I'm getting pretty sick of him calling my mom. Cartman's a bitch, she's a big, fat bitch, she's the biggest bitch in the whole wide world. She's a stupid bitch, and everyone's a bitch, she's a bitch. Here comes your host, Kyle A. Barrett, on the World Steve. Welcome to the Big Ball Broadcast. Oh, yeah. Coming from the West Coast. It's all the geeky news you can use. My name is Kyle A. Barrett. I am a voice actor for anime and video games. And your co-host of the East Coast on the World Steve. And I'm proud to announce I'm one step closer to being a legitimate historian. Now, okay, so for those who have been listening to the podcast, you've been working on a, a documentary about masonry. It's kind of like the glory of masonry, not 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 the actual word glory, but like if you saw the Matthew Broderick, uh, Denzel Washington movie from the late 80s, really, really great movie about the Civil War times. This this covers uh, masonry for that. Uh, you're, you're doing this this documentary, and uh, you enlisted my help as a voice actor to do the narration for it. So things are coming together. A lot of progress on that front. And uh, what news do you have to report? More specifically, it's about um, African-American masonry. Just real brief, because it's a very long, very convoluted story, and there's still issues, I guess, in the U.S. But in the United States, there's, there's two mostly recognized form, forms of masonry. And the most non-PC way for me to say it is there's white masonry and black masonry. And there's a reason why... And again, I'm not going to take up the whole podcast talking about why that is, but I am a Caucasian male who decided, uh, well-informed, mind you, to join a predominantly African-American Masonic Lodge. And I'm really happy that I did because the the history, the stories uh, to be told, they're mind-boggling to me. I I am such a purveyor of history, and uh, it's just incredible to be a part of this and to share some of this. Um, and yes, I enlisted the wonderful voice talent of uh, my co-host here. So I get an email last night from the president of the historical society in my community inviting me to present this at the um, Medal of Honors convention taking place in Boston two weeks from tomorrow, <laughs> uh, which kind of caught me a little off guard because I've got a little bit of work I still have to do on this thing. Um, but it, it's definitely an honor and a privilege to have the topic taken seriously enough. And also one of the reasons it certainly applies is one of the residents of this community back in the Civil War days um, during the Civil War did receive the Medal of Honor, and he is considered the first African-American in the United States to receive uh, that distinguished award from our government. So it's very close to home. It's very personal. Again, I think it's a wonderful story. I want to get it out at some point. I'm just not sure how to get it out there to the masses. Um, I don't want to sound like a dick, but I'm probably going to tie it into some sort of community outreach fundraiser thing. I'm not just going to put it on YouTube for free. And I know that sounds like a dick move, but um, I really want to help people. I've come to that point in my life where I just want to assist in, in the best way possible. Any proceeds that are generated from this are going to go to uh, helping people out. And as that time gets closer, probably not for quite a few months, I'll have a lot more information about that. But just want to put it out there again. Thank you very much, Kyle, for being a part of this. Um, I certainly appreciate everything you've done in this. You're going to be heard by some very, very influential political figures, including Massachusetts governor and our senators and our congresswoman and a bunch of uh, 
Medal of Honor recipients. They're, they're going to all be uh, in the gallery for this presentation, and I'm really looking forward to it. Awesome news, my friend, and uh, I am more than happy to help contribute to the cause. It's kind of like you're you're doing the Batman thing without being Batman. I guess it's more like the Bruce Wayne side of it, philanthropy. Yeah. You know, it's funny because uh, one of my brother Masons in the lodge who also happens to be a Caucasian, and then on top of everything else, he's Jewish, so everybody hates him because he's a white Jew who joined a black lodge. Um, but we talk about it all the time is that's kind of the perception we have kind of superheroes in our community who walk around 99.9% of the time as Clark Kent or as Bruce Wayne. And we're kind of like the, in case of emergency break glass, if you need some help, that's what we're here for. And we'll put on our tights and our capes and we'll, we'll be there to help. And I've changed quite a bit. If you listen to the old podcast from back in the day and I was like, fuck everybody, it's all about me. And now I've gotten a little bit older, a little bit wiser, part of something I truly believe in. It's like, no, I really just genuinely want to help people. And the only reward that I want is knowing that I help somebody. If I had an applause sound effect or a standing ovation, I would insert it right here. Very well said, sir. Other world, Steve for president. 2016, he's going to totally beat the shit out of Kanye West. I don't want the attention. I don't, I don't want the accolades. I enjoy doing it to begin with. I enjoy learning new stuff, and I, I enjoy having something that can take up my time and, and what I would consider in a way being productive. So it's a blessing just to be able to do that. And um, if, if I can share that with other people and other people can learn something, and again, being a father of two young boys, I want to set the example as well. Do do something. I don't really care what you do, but do something that's positive, moves forward, and helps your community. Amen. Something else positive you can do is, of course, spread the love about the Big Ball Broadcast. Join us on our social media feed, at BB Broadcast. And uh, you can tweet things to us, like helpful links with actual stories. Thanks to at Phantom Ronin, who sent us the story about uh, the poor little kid who got sent home with a, her Wonder Woman lunchbox because they said it's too violent. This is a quote from the letter sent home to the, the parents said, we noticed that uh, Laura as a Wonder Woman lunchbox. It features a superhero image uh, in keeping with the dress code of the school. We must ask that she not bring this to school. The dress code we have established requests that the children not bring violent images into the building in any fashion on their clothing, including shoes and socks, backpacks and lunchboxes. We have defined violent characters as those who solve problems using violence superheroes certainly fall into that category. Please refer to the dress code section of the school handbook. Your cooperation with our dress code will be appreciated. Okay. So um, what the bloody fuck? Well, that's what happens in this modern day of being so overly PC. Try to keep everybody happy. And what you end up doing as a result is you generalize everything. And I think it's difficult when it comes to the superhero genre to generalize and, and have that kind of statement. Yes, I could understand you wouldn't want your kid going to school with a Punisher t-shirt, because if you know anything about Punisher, yeah, that's a little uh, offensive, I would think, in a school nowadays. But somebody like Spider-Man, I don't think Spider-Man gets a boner because he wants to go fuck people up. I think he just wants to do the right thing, and sometimes if you're forced to that alternative, then you gotta do what you gotta do. So, yeah, I think it's just a, a real disgusting case of generalization, and it really hurts because it's not like little girls have a lot of role models to look up to. As lovely as Aphrodite, as wise as Athena. Of course, you know, the whole notion of uh, metal <laughs> lunchboxes, weren't they banned from schools anyway? I mean, maybe this one was a soft plastic one, but unless you're a collector which, you know, you can walk into collector shops and see all these awesome geek lunchboxes, but they're meant as, you know, conversation pieces to show off, not to actually use as lunchboxes. I still have, albeit not in very good condition, my metal 
1980 Empire Strikes Back lunchbox. Yeah, I had Star Wars. I had Battlestar Galactica. I had Kiss. I think my brother had like the A-Team and some Transformers and Nostalgia Bomb just right in the face. And then you see how much they're worth nowadays. If you have a mint condition with the original thermos and all that shit. As I've realized firsthand, and this is just really personally, I can't really generalize, but trying to relive that nostalgia doesn't work. I've thrown so much money at arcade cabinets and comic books, things that I wanted to bring back from my childhood. It's not very satisfying, or should I say not as satisfying as you would assume. It's always getting away from your grasp. We try to do it. We tried to do it with the Star Wars toys all that all those years ago. Ten years ago was, was when Episode 3 came out. Now, ten years later, you have a whole new generation of fans who actually grew up on the prequels. You know, we have a chance to have a good Star Wars trilogy made. I want to relive my childhood. I want everything to, to go as, as planned and all that stuff. It's just very different. If you talk to an eight-year-old versus someone in their 40s, like in our generation, that different meaning to different people, I guess. And the other thing, too, is it, it was just the times, you know. When you and I were first collecting comic books, there was no real collector's market. Yeah, you knew there were some books that were worth some coin. And we grew up with magazines like Wizard, but people weren't buying books out of speculation. Unfortunately, that didn't happen until like the early 90s. But once that started, once it, all the companies realized people are going to buy this because of that speculative market, what Lucas did when Phantom Menace came out, where you had wave after wave after wave just getting fucking pounded on the shelves. And yeah, I was that sucker. Not only did I buy all of them that were available at retail, but I get the store exclusive versions. And then I'd go on eBay and I'd buy variants or imports. I spent tons and tons and gobs and gobs of money on those figures, only to find out fairly recently they were only worth about a buck or two a piece. So what I did was I grabbed my two big boxes of Star Wars figures, and I brought them over to my lodge, and we had a yard sale, and I sold them all at a buck a piece. And you know what? I don't feel bad about it. When I did my decluttering of my uh, bachelor apartment that my now fiancé has helped me feng shui the fuck out of, we took boxes and boxes of those prequel figures that are worth absolutely nothing. And I decided, well, I could eBay them, or I could sell them for a dollar a piece or a quarter or whatever, or or try to get something back on the investment. And I said, fuck it. I'll just make some kids happy. Gave it to Goodwill. It's a tax write-off. Notice when I sold mine was, there were little kids that wanted them. No adult wanted them, or, or even a teenager wanted them, but the kids wanted them. And this was the beautiful thing about uh, selling those. They didn't give a fuck what they were or, or what their association with Star Wars was. It was like, this dude looks cool. Or, hey, mom, dad, look, it's a robot. That's all they really cared about. So I take that pleasure in knowing they're going to go home and make up their own fantasy things instead of trying to relive those awful prequels. And actually use the toys for what they were made for. Take them out of the fucking box and play with them. Even if it's something as simple as posing them or, you know, some sort of sort of display case, something beyond just buying them on the pegs and just leaving them mint in the box and then sitting them all just boxed away somewhere, just gathering dust. Again, I think that time is gone. I, I don't think you're going to go out and buy that collectible that is going to afford you an opportunity to retire later in life. I, I think we're so oversaturated nowadays, it doesn't matter. If you want to throw your money into some of the oldest shit, absolutely. I've always said if I had money, I would invest in the early Golden Age books. I would have a Detective Comics first appearance of Batman. I would have Amazing Fantasy number 15 because... I think that's better than playing on the stock market. Now, speaking of Star Wars, by the time you're hearing this podcast, Force Friday has come and gone. 
So congratulations to everyone who got all the merch that they were looking for. If you wanted the new, the first wave of Force Awakens toys, chances are you, you probably went out there for all the midnight openings at Toys R Us and Target and Walmart and, uh, spent an ungodly fortune on uh, what will probably end up being worth nothing. <laughs> but again, the point of toys, to please kids or to please people who want to actually take them out and play with the damn things or, or do whatever. I can't report as to what I've got. All I know is going into this, by the time we're recording it, it's not Force Friday yet. I have no interest in picking up figures, really. This time, I really want the BB-8 droid from Sphero, the company that made the one in the movie that's practical and everything. You've got a version that's $150. It's app control for either Android or iPhone. As of the recording of this podcast, we don't know when they're going to be available. If they will be available from the Sphero website or in stores everywhere, by the time you hear this, you will know where to get your hands on one if you want one of those as opposed to a cheaper one. That was like, that's the one piece of merchandise that really stuck out to me this time instead of, I need all the blah, 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 of this character, that character. I need all these things. And yeah, the molds look cool. The packaging looks cool. But again, I don't want to repeat of all that just because I got rid of a lot of clutter. I don't want to replace the space I've gotten with more clutter. So I said, okay, I could, I could drop three or $400 on figures or I could plunk 150 bucks save a lot of money, and just get something I'm actually going to use and play with, this little remote control BB-8 droid. Which is really cool because regardless of how good of a character BB-8 turns out to be, the technology is amazing. And I think it's just cool to geek out on just the tech. So I, Kyle, if nobody else does, I validate you making that purchase. Having said that, one thing we've talked about, I believe, last episode was the weird thing with the toys coming out this early is there's no context. These kids play with these figures and, and ships and stuff, have no idea how this factors into the film. Most of these characters are brand new to the mythos. And we don't know who the fuck they are or what they're doing. We have some maybe some vague idea, but nothing even remotely specific. What I would love to see, and if you're listening, parents of, of youngish kids, turn the volume up. I want to see you film your kids playing with these toys, these figures, if you actually allow them to open up the package. I want to see what kind of scenarios they put together, because there's no frame of reference. How are they playing with these figures? What personalities are they ascribing to them? And I'd love to see that. I would thoroughly enjoy hours and hours of YouTube videos of kids playing with these figures with absolutely no fucking frame of reference. You just have the biggest mashup ever. You take the Star Wars figures and pose them with the Marvel figures and pose them with Transformers and, and have this big mashup universe where like these guys are siding against these guys. And when I was growing up in the 70s, I didn't even bother getting Star Wars toys because my best friend had them all. I just went over to his house and, and played with them. And we had Hoth play sets and Rebel Base this and Tatooine Farm and then, you know, this. And we would just go nuts with it. And we would just get, you know, throw in some random G.I. Joes for the fuck of it, you know, because like a kid's imagination is so much more vivid than just the context of, oh, a corporate logo, this this one cohesive universe. You know, shit that kids don't give a fuck about. Snake Eyes was my Stormtrooper unit commander. I bet uh, people took his orders very serious. Absolutely, but I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Playing that mashup, using different figures from different properties, that was a blast growing up. I don't see kids doing that anymore. I see kids with their faces stuffed in tablets or, or smartphones. I don't see them on the floor kicking their legs and building booby traps for figures and stuff. It's, I don't know. I'm going to start crying because it's all so nostalgic to me. Yeah, like you could set up these figures regardless of what they're from, and they're all, the, and then suddenly you're pretending that you're King Kong or Godzilla, and just you're kaijuing the fuck out of everything in the room. Mass carnage and, and death. But that's what they were for. That's 
back when it was cool to do that. There was never an expectation when we were growing up that you were going to leave these figures in the package. My mother, however, did have a happy accident because my brother and I were terrible growing up and we'd tear apart the house looking for our Christmas gifts. So she hid very, very well Star Wars, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Empire Strikes Back Lobot. And about five years ago, she gave them to me. She said, look what I found. And I was like, holy shit. So those are tucked away very safely. If you're a fan of Star Wars Rebels, which I know Steve is, and uh, I, I've myself not seen enough, but I did purchase the iTunes Season 1, up till now has been the only way to officially have them, unless you just stream them from the website and you have a Disney XD or cable subscription and whatnot. And the Blu-ray also has some extras as well, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. There's an Ultimate Guide which previously did air on TV. It's a 22-minute recap of the entire first season of the series. So there you go, Kyle. <laughs> you can just pick up the Blu-ray, watch this one 22-minute recap, and then you'll be all set for season two. Woo! Season two is right around the corner, October 14th. Uh, that's coming to Disney XD. So definitely check that out because, again, fucking Vader's coming back. That is awesome. And I can't say this enough. Blu-ray. This is Star Wars and Blu-ray. It's, uh, yeah, people get on it for kind of being a little kitty, but A, I don't think so. And B, it's canon. So even if you find a little too kitty tough shit, you're, you're stuck with it because Lucasfilm and Disney have said this is part of the new canon. We don't know what's going down with Ahsoka because you got to admit, that's pretty fucking tense. You know, here's the, the Padawan to the master she admired and looked up to and had nothing but tremendous respect for. And he's like the biggest cock lord in the galaxy right now. How the fuck do you deal with that? So at some point... You're going to have a really good show and just turn it fucking epic. So pick up Star Wars Rebels on high def Blu-ray. It's a two disc version collection available now at uh, your local retailers and all that fun stuff. Uh, in terms of uh, Star Wars video game realm, you've had your 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 cases where there's some decent titles, some god awful titles and ones with a lot of potential and had a lot of hype and then kind of fizzled and all that. But there's always hope that the upcoming Star Wars Battlefront coming to next generation consoles will be the definitive Star Wars title that actually kind of ties in between Jedi, right? And going into Force Awakens. Exactly. I mean, Jesus Christ, what a gorgeous looking game. I know this, there's really hardcore fans out there for Knights of the Old Republic, but this is going to be atop the highest pedestal of the most epic Star Wars game available for purchase. Demos coming out, you get to play the whole Hoth mission, which was the, the first big tease that they released on video uh, just about a month ago. And you get to play another Tatooine mission as well you get to see darth vader luke skywalker all your favorite characters and it's just it truly is fucking gorgeous now correct me if i'm wrong with this game here you're not stuck playing in third person the entire time are you you can switch up your view your display it looks that way yeah i mean you can you can youtube some uh some gameplay there's like a good eight nine minute scene of you just you know kicking ass on hoth <laughs> and i don't have a ps4 right now i'm still holding on to my ps3 but this is enough this is that converter for me and generally i'm not like that but i would buy a ps4 just so i could play this game problem i have is that i get motion sick very easily i can't play games like halo and whatever these first person shooters so if i can switch into third person that should be all right but 
man, that would suck donkey dicks if I can't play this game. Now, speaking of PS3 and folks who have the last generation Xbox, Xbox 360, they recently got the news that they get shafted in terms of Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat X came out to great reviews, uh, another great entry in the, in, the, in the fighting anthology for next generation consoles. And people are going, hey, what about us? There is still 360 games and PS3 games in development because there's such a huge install base. But it looks like they're kind of getting fucked over here. Just a little bit. I mean, it was back in uh, not too long ago, they said this game was slated for the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 sometime in the summer. GameStop, however, reported back in May that they were swapping the placeholder date from June 2nd to December 31st. And that's kind of like shrugging off a title the way you would pursue that from a retailer. After months and months and months of it seeming like there wasn't a lot of hope for it, finally Warner Brothers came out and said, Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment has come to the regrettable conclusion that we cannot release Mortal Kombat X or X for PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. Please know that our teams work diligently to meet the quality standards set by the current-gen versions of the game. We were not able to get the PS3 and the 360 versions to that quality expected of a Mortal Kombat game, and are very sorry for not being able to deliver the products as originally planned. My take in brief, you know I kind of see both sides. Yes, I still have my 360, and I want to be able to go out and buy some of these current games. Um, I still buy some of the Lego titles as they come out for the PS3. But I can kind of see Warner Brothers' take on this, where if it's not going to live up to that quality, if it's not going to live up to that standard, why release a subpar product on a last-gen console that isn't probably going to sell as well for the current gen. And then probably have people turn around and, and go to social media and bitch anyway and go, Jesus Christ, this looks like shit compared to the PS4 version. I guess the band-aid for the shotgun wound is you could always play the smartphone version of Mortal Kombat <laughs> available on Android and iPhone with in-app purchases. Does that really mean anything to anyone? <laughs> <laughs> Someone does. They keep developing these mobile games because that's the future. Let's go back into the past. Remember... What is infamously known as the worst video game of all time, E.T., the extraterrestrial, developed for the Atari 2600. Now, a few years ago, the urban legend was that tons of these uh, these cartridges were buried in a desert somewhere. And then there was a documentary saying, you know, hey, we're going to dig up there and see if there's any truth to it. And turns out there was thousands and thousands of cartridges for E.T., the uh, extra testicle, I'm sorry, terrestrial, terrible, terrible game. One that I actually owned on my Atari 2600 in the early 80s. And yeah, I can vouch. It is pretty abysmal where the one thing you could do as E.T. was like raise and lower your neck and go collect Reese's pieces. That's about it. This is such a cool story on so many different levels because we grew up with this as an urban legend. And this was far before the internet so you'd read different takes from different people in different gaming magazines um and it was very interesting to think you know shit is this real is, is it like wait is it a lost ark is is there this massive find you know hidden somewhere under all these layers of dirt and gravel and rock and just recently yes absolutely it was true and it wasn't this et there were a bunch of different atari titles that were in there apparently it was just cheaper to dump them off in a landfill than doing anything realistic with them. So what they did over in New Mexico, Alamogordo, they decided to auction them off because this was really, you know, something that was gaining a lot of popularity with modern pop culture. And if you saw the angry video game nerd movie, which I did, and I, I paid to watch that online and I encourage everybody to do that. You have to support indie folks so that they can become professional folks, but that's pretty much the whole basis for the whole movie about whether or not these uh, cartridges were in the landfill. So what the city did in New Mexico was they auctioned them off. Why the fuck not? 
And uh, they auctioned off quite a few, 881 games, actually, that they sold. Um, the city's going to keep 65000 of that that's going to go to Public Works Projects. Uh, 16000 is going to go to the Tularosa Basin Historical Society, and the rest of the proceeds will go to handle the expenses of the auctions. What I thought was pretty interesting was, again, 881 games sold, and um, six were sold in Brazil and Australia, three in Singapore, 22 in France, 54 in Canada, and over 752 in the U.S. alone. The highest grossing one they got from auction was an ET cartridge that went for $1,535. Over 60 titles were sold on eBay, including Asteroids, Pistol Command, Warlords, Defender, Star Raiders, Sword Quest, blah, 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 blah. I think it's a really cool thing. It's win-win for everybody, and if you decide you want to spend a grand on a cartridge, you know, it's on you. There's no hype or anything from the seller. You know damn well what you're getting, and all the proceeds go to a really cool thing. Piece of video game history. Now, were these cartridges actually still in the package and just buried as that? Or Yes, absolutely. Unfortunately, the reveal videos are online where you can see the, the crews unearthing a lot of these games. But I think with the combination of age, meaning years of sitting in a landfill and, and chemicals seeping through and water or whatever, some were very damaged. Um, some... You see piles of just cartridge alone where the boxes and the booklets are just disintegrated. But there are some that are, I mean, in absolute near pristine condition. That's the benefit of having thousands of these buried together. It's like phone books. If you dig deep enough, you're going to find things perfectly intact. So Yeah, yeah. like going to the comic book store and not getting the one on top. you got to dig about five or six in to get the perfect mint copy. I always think of George Carlin when you open up the loaf of bread and you go three or four slices in. Let my family eat the crappy bread. I'm looking out for numero uno. So anyone who listens to the Big Ball broadcast knows that uh, Steve and myself, we're console gamers. But we know there's a big market out there. A lot of you guys love Steam. You know, we're not going to talk shit about Steam. It's obviously a, a, a wonderful business model. It keeps gamers and developers engaged and, and employed. Steam is looking to um, have a first uh, in the video game realms. This is kind of weird. Well, the name of the game we're talking about is Kindred Spirits on the Roof. And it's a game about two ghosts that are eternally bound to a school. And the only way they can finally rest in peace is if they get to bone each other. Now, the sad part is, yes, that's really the game's description. Uh, Steam has a number of erotic games in, uh, within this past year, uh, but many of which have been tweaked so they don't show nudity on Valve service. And Valve has pulled sex games from Steam before, and they've straight up said, quote, Steam has never been a leading destination for erotic material. But according to the game developer Liarsoft, Kindred Spirits will have zero censorship, and it's probably going to be the first erotic game on Steam. That's what they're claiming anyways. So it's a Yuri game. Uh, I'll put that out there as well. And it's unclear whether or not Valve's actually changed their policies on erotic games or if this is simply an exception to the rule. And many uh, websites have reached out for clarification and have not heard back from Valve yet. So, yeah, if that's your kink, if that's what gets you off, it's not for me to tell you what's wrong. I'm just making you aware. Now, I remember going back to the Atari 2600. Didn't they have some some dirty games back then that were kind of like bootleg to work? They weren't like official or anything? No, and unfortunately, you know, that's what a lot of people decry was the problem and, and why the video game market collapsed is you had a lot of third-party uh, companies making games, and that's why Nintendo's really big deal was having the Nintendo seal of approval on the games because they didn't want that same glut to happen. But yeah, there was uh, Custer's Revenge, 
where you were literally raping a Native American woman tied up to a pole while evading arrows being shot at you. Uh, but yeah, there, there have been pornographic games, I think, ever since there was digital-type entertainment. And if you go to certain porn sites and type in vintage porn, you can watch them getting it on, you know, in the early 1900s. So... Pornography is nothing new. We talk about, you know, our, our, is there such a glut of superhero films where the superhero genre is going to collapse? Porn's never going to collapse. So transitioning into video games, you know, as twisted and, and perverse as it sounds, it's a logical step. It's going to happen. You're going to be having VR sex pretty soon where you'll have your whatever devices you strap on your cock and whatever, and you can bang a chick who lives 2,000 miles away from you virtually online. And we'll just have to deal with it when it happens. You know, a lot of moral questions are going to come up. Is that cheating? <laughs> You're not actually inserting your penis into her vagina. So does it really count as sex? I don't know. That's just something for like friends, roommates, family members to walk in on. Try explaining that one. I'm just playing a game. I mean, yeah, it's difficult enough to explain to somebody why your cock's in your hand. I think it's an entirely different thing when you have this thing set up with wires and IR readers and shit. Oh, no, no. It's just, it's like Metal Gear Solid. I was looking up, I was trying to remember the name, and I looked it up. Leisure Suit Larry. Remember that that series? A lot of people say, like, those volleyball games are, you know, borderline pornographic with the, the boob jiggle physics. And female armor. Hey, let's talk about this really quick. Because there was a really valid point that came out very recently there was a picture posted recently of, and I don't remember the name right now, the female captain. Phasma, yes. Phasma. Um, in, in The Force Awakens, somebody had the nerve to kind of say, well, you know, how do you know she's a female? Because she doesn't have female armor. And the response from the internet was, for the first time, from what I saw anyway, was actually quite positive in defense of women. Because what is female armor? You know, a metal bikini, that's female armor. Because it seems anytime you get uh, an armor upgrade in a female in a game, it's less clothing, so it's more revealing. So you actually have a, a person of the female persuasion in a full suit of armor that's designed to protect the wearer in combat and not necessarily be sexist in a way that there's no armored boobs pointing out to, to distinguish this as a female. And people are still talking shit. And I think, fuck yeah to J.J. Abrams, fuck yeah to Disney, because there's no gender stereotyping there. You go into combat, you go into battle, here's your armor, go fucking fight. And it's not about sex. It's about the whole methodology behind that. Kudos to their social media team for pegging it. It's like, boom, headshot. It's like, all right, take your sexist ass out the dough. I think we need more of that. Um, I don't think an all-females Ghostbuster is the answer to that, but I think we need more of those kind of more realistic examples of a female being part of society. You know what we don't need more of? I'm going to jump right in and just get to this. Um, Apparently, we don't need more Attack on Titan. We talked about this last podcast where the reviews were damning in Japan about how horrible this was. Um, Unfortunately, of course, this comes on the heels of Funimation's big announcement that they had obtained the rights for a North American distribution for it. I believe it's dubbed into English. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can go over to attackontitanthemovie.com. It's going to be screening in 300 theaters across the U.S. and Canada. This is weird. It's being screened in two parts. I don't know if they did that in Japan, but the, the film split up into two parts. Part one is going to be in theaters on September 30th, October 1st, and October 7th. And it has a runtime of about 98 minutes. And part two will screen two weeks later on October 20th, 22nd, and 27th at about 87 minutes. That's the U.S. screenings. Uh, Canada and other places, there's different times. And go over to attackontitanthemovie.com and get more information. It's one of those things where, unfortunately, I kind of wish they had a a quicker release, kind of back-to-back on the heels of Japan's. I don't know 
what the reviews of the Japanese release are going to mean for Funimation's release on this. And that's kind of really too bad because we were talking about Resurrection of F doing really, really well and, and breaking some box office records for anime. And this seems like it's going to kind of make that all take a big step backwards. <laughs> You've got a lot of the studios in Japan. They're very scared about the internet. Piracy scares them, and rightfully so, because piracy has in bootlegging and torrents uh, have obviously affected such a niche genre, especially now that you got live action adaptations trying to get out there and permeate and create new fans with, okay, we'll get the people that don't read manga and don't watch anime. They're going to watch Attack on Titan because, damn it, we're making it live action. Good luck with that. Got to get studios on board to where they're doing, you know, a lot of things with Funimation is, is now day and date. They call it broadcast dubs. Comes out in Japanese simultaneously in English. And that's what I'm hoping will happen with, with Dragon Ball Z franchise in the future and maybe more things. Just like, don't even stick your toes in the water. Just, just jump in. Let your, let your balls freeze. It's fine. Yeah. You don't want damning bad reviews in one country to affect the box office in another because it happens, you know, too late, too little. Uh, again, because the Twitter effect, Twitter is live pulse of the people right now. And if you're getting that sort of damning information before you can even buy a ticket to the screening of the movie in your country, how's that going to affect things? It's an automatic pass for me. <laughs> so it's kind of that simple. <laughs> right. I mean, different culture, different this and that and the other. I mean, I can't look back uh, historically and, and, and say that, okay, movies that we love are, uh, you know, are hated and despised over there. That's not usually the case. A lot of things that work as blockbusters over there or blockbusters here as well. Well, it's also America's, I believe, is still the number one export. It's entertainment, film, and music. So the, the world kind of strives to live up to the standard of American entertainment. Speaking of the standards of American entertainment, I know one title in particular you and I definitely hold very near and dear to our hearts is Back to the Future. You can read very entertaining term papers about time travel and the inconsistencies and the genius and, and, and the, the awesome little hints left within kind of sprinkled throughout the, the film trilogy. It's one of the most beloved trilogies. I'm not going to say that people are clamoring for a part four, but we are in the day and age of reboots and remakes. We are. And Robert Zemeckis came out recently and said, basically over my dead body, um, that he refuses to allow this to happen while he's still alive. And he's gone as far as to say he would ensure that his estate would try to stop it as well. Well, today we received news that Steven Spielberg's company DreamWorks is going back to Universal after a deal with Disney runs out next year. And the part in the article that kind of perked some fanboys up today, um, I have to note this was a Hollywood Reporter article, is they say that on the potential are reboots of other Universal franchises, such as Jaws and Back to the Future. People are calling it out because why name those items specifically unless there's been some talk about it? Otherwise, there's, there would be no need to get into uh, specific titles. Now, as I said, uh, Zemeckis does not want to ever see anybody attempt to reboot Back to the Future, and I think it would be really fucked where Michael J. Fox is still with us. Um, let the dude pass first before you start talking about it. Uh, but however, Spielberg has gone on record just a couple of years ago that he does have some ideas about one specific scene in Jaws he would love to see take place. So I guess there is a the potential you may see a spinoff, a prequel, a reboot of the Jaws franchise. And we all just have to keep our fingers crossed. We do not see any of the like for Back to the Future. The best scene in the book of Jurassic Park 
wasn't filmed. There's this this really intense chase through a waterfall with the T-Rex. You know, I'm watching the movie going, where is it? Where is it? Where's the scene? And then, oh, we didn't have the money for it. It's like, really? Spielberg didn't have the money for it? And a big part of the charm of probably the two most epic blockbusters we grew up with, uh, Star Wars and uh, Jaws, were, for the most part, a lot of what you see on film are happy accidents, you know? They couldn't get Bruce, the the mechanical shark, to work in Jaws. They were plagued with problems. Spielberg literally uh, made himself very, very sick on set trying to get this damn shark to work, and it, it bothered him so much. And he pioneered, accidentally somewhat, the, the idea in film that it's scarier when you don't see the monster. Uh, and then you saw a lot of copycats after that, and it's become a very strong way of telling a story in film nowadays. But that wasn't intentional. He wanted you to see the shark in all its glory through the whole movie. But the same with Star Wars, where the, the edit you see in A New Hope, that was right to the end of the reel, right to the end of those scenes being shot. Um, just frames later is is when you see the actors blocking off the set, getting new direction or whatever. So these were all happy accidents. I don't think you could recreate that in that day and age. It would be too methodical and, and too budgeted with, with titles and directors like this, where it would be more like a showpiece than real cinema. Lionsgate just recently announced that Borderlands, the hit video game series, will be adapted into a live-action film. Now, I personally have not played Borderlands enough to, to comment one way or another. It didn't grab me. I was excited because I knew some people on the, on the voice cast, and I thought, you know, pretty graphics and everything, but the gameplay just did not personally grab me. But I know it's a hit title and everything out there. Do you get the sense that the, the fans are, are clamoring for this thing, that it's a good thing that it gets, gets announced as a movie? Some are. A dear friend of ours and uh, writer and illustrator, Zero Reynolds, he was, I think, the first I saw jump on social media, and he was like, fuck yeah, a Borderlands movie. I get that some people really dig it, and, and some people really dig the story. Um, yeah, you, you know somebody kind of close to the production who was generous enough to throw out some Steam keys, and I gave it a shot. And it, yeah, like I said, First-person shooters just aren't my thing, so I really can't uh, properly judge this. I guess what's a little more concerning about this announcement is that Avi Arad and his son Ari Arad are the producers behind this. And that those names might sound familiar because Avi was behind basically driving the Spider-Man franchise into the ground. So I don't know how bruised that ego still is and if you really want them producing a product like this. And then there's also the unfortunate, you know, reality that we really haven't seen a good video game to movie adaptation done yet. So for somebody like me, it's not that I'm being judgmental. I just honestly have no interest in seeing something like this. But if you really get off on the story and that's your thing, I'm not going to talk shit if you go see it opening day. Gears of War, I think, would be a really cool movie to see. I, I love the the, the cutscenes in that. I love the voice cast. But obviously, you'd have to go with a live action cast for that. You're going to see Warcraft uh, become a live action movie. Blizzard, you know, for the first time delving into the live action realm. And uh, obviously, that's a that's a very, very huge title, but and a lot on the line, too. And then the other big news we saw today was also the casting for the Assassin's Creed movie. I haven't played Assassin's Creed, any of them yet, but I do have a friend who's playing three right now and is strongly recommended, I guess, that I play it as well. And I'm going to give it a shot when he's done with it. Um, and again, it's not for lack of not wanting to play it. I just don't have the money to go out and purchase all these games. Um, but there's a little bit of backlash there where they're not using the main character in the games in the movie. There's supposed to be some sort of direct 
links, some direct relation of why this all works, but it's kind of weird not to take the protagonist from the game and actually make him the protagonist of the film. I don't get it. What I do like about Assassin's Creed, though, is, you know, again, I'm a history nut, so no matter what, you should have a decent historical action thriller thing going on. So having really no idea what the fuck goes on in the games, I would probably go check it out just on that premise alone and knowing that people's throats are going to get cut and the screen's going to get uh, sprayed with blood. And maybe some cool um, parkour action. Are you feeling any uh, stirring in the loins for the Assassin's Creed franchise? Not me personally, but that's because I haven't played the series. Uh, I know it. I know it's it's huge. And if, yeah, if you're into history and all that, even my lovely fiance is like, it's cool. She's not a gamer. <laughs> but she's like, this is neat. It has not stirred my loins, uh, unfortunately. And and knowing that the movie's coming out with Michael Fassbender in the lead and everything. I love him. He's a fantastic actor and everything. I don't really hold much hope for it. I know that the, the fandom is split based on every Assassin's Creed title that comes out. It's, it's to this. I don't like this about this aspect. I remember when the first one came out, I was like, so what you do is just walk around and listen to people's conversations. And that's it. It's like, well, that sounds really boring. Okay, occasionally climb tall towers and jump down uh, and maybe do a little parkour and then occasionally slit people's throats. But don't get caught. I don't know. I'm probably going to get some hate for this, but I really don't see any distinction between what you just described and a game like Metal Gear, Metal Gear Solid, where you kind of do the same thing, except you have modern weaponry. Someone in our chat room was asking, uh, are, are you picking up the new Metal Gear Solid? And it's like, I'll go on a limb, Steve, and say, you aren't. Uh, I know I'm not. <laughs> I've just not had any interest in that particular series. It just seems like a tedious game to play. And at my age and the very limited recreational time I have, I can't get that involved, that immersed. I really haven't, I, I don't think, since the second Infamous game. A lot of us now is uh, pick up and play, and I can just shut it off and walk away, and it doesn't matter. I was playing Wii Sports Resort with my son yesterday, and one of those things where it doesn't matter if I ever get back to it. I, it killed some time, I had fun, and a story. I don't know if I can get into something epic that really required you to put a lot of thought and interest into what you're doing. Alan S. in our chat says, I've been playing Metal Gear Solid uh, 5 and so far it's been pretty darn sweet. Also mentions that Tales from the Borderlands is the best Borderlands game and to be honest, if they made a Borderlands movie in the vein of Tales from the Borderlands, the Telltale adventure name, uh, adventure game, it might work. Though if they did do a Gears of War movie, the guy that they got the voice Cole could play Cole in live action since Lester's spite looks like Cole. Like, eh, yeah, I guess so. But uh, we've seen no no movement. What I thought was going to happen, remember uh, several years ago, Peter Jackson was supposedly going to direct a Halo movie, or then they got Neil Blomkamp, who did District 9, and then it just got scrapped altogether. So instead of a movie, now we have Halo 5, which, you know, you saw the new teaser for, and it looks amazing. It looks amazing. Nathan Fillion and uh, motion captured also Laura Bailey. Shout out to Laura Bailey. You know, her character looks like her, and she's there with Nathan Fillion and just an amazing teaser for the upcoming Halo game. And again, if that's your thing, I, I got nothing against your thing. I get it. Not my thing. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no worry, because you'll, you'll puke if you get motion sickness. Indeed. <laughs> and nobody wants that. Nobody wants puke all over the console. That's just a bad, that's just bad for business. Back to the, the subject of movies that uh, deserve more hype. So you dug on uh, social media and found a list from, what was it, Cracked? 
It is. It's one of my favorite go-to sites for news for the podcast. They put a great spin on everything. I mean, everyone likes, you know, everyone, you're typically used to seeing BuzzFeed list and, and all that, but uh, Cracked has a, a, a Cracked set of writers that write some really, really humorous things, and it's very informative and fun. I mean, I like the of the the evolution of Cracked. I remember when it was the antithesis to Mad Magazine when we were kids. And now it's like this this cutting edge social media juggernaut. I dig it. It certainly it wasn't like the go to magazine on the rack because if you had a choice between Mad or Cracked, you would certainly grab Mad. Um, you had Spy versus Spy, Spy, and all the things you were familiar with. Cracked was always like the bastard son, uh, but I totally dig them as a website. But anyways, uh, so this, one of these projects here, these movies upcoming, hopefully this will see uh, the light of day. It's recently been fast tracked, I should say. Um, it's kind of weird. You get a weird premise going on and it's called the happy time murders and it's being uh, produced, directed all, all that sort of stuff by Jim Henson's son. And it's like a hard R movie. The concept goes back to about 2012 when they first started developing this. It's noir Muppet murder mystery. I, I keep thinking for some reason, like a la Sin City, it keeps popping into my head for some reason. I could be totally off, off on that. And STX Entertainment recently announced again that they're uh, fast tracking the project in, par- in partnership with the Jim Henson Company. I don't know how to feel about this. And the reason I say that is because I'm the first one to argue about cartoons being violent and, and arguing for that. I grew up with cartoons. I enjoy animation. Why shouldn't I, as an adult, be able to continue to enjoy it, but on my intellectual level? It shouldn't all be kid stuff. Muppets, I want to say, almost crosses the line because of the premise with Sesame Street. You think Muppets, you think cute, nice, educational, kid-friendly. But then I'm also reminded, you know, the Muppet Show, and especially the the pilot precursor before that, was more geared towards adults. It it wasn't beat-you-over-the-head blatant kind of like with the new Muppet series, like it seems like it's going to be, but it was adult enough. And, and it was a primetime show where adults could sit down after a long day of work and walk it, watch it and enjoy it along with their kids. I don't know how I feel about a really over the top blood sex, you know, Muppet tits. I, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm thinking that if Jim Henson were still alive, he probably would not sign off on something this dark. I mean, his version of Dark Muppets was, of course, Labyrinth and Dark Crystal. There was death and a little bit of gore, but, you know, not over-the-top profanity or, or violence or certainly not nudity and sexuality and all that stuff. I don't know if people want to see that. Now, Alan S. mentions Farscape because that was Brian Henson's and the Henson Workshop working Muppets into an adult-themed uh, science fiction show, but there there was no sexuality to that. I mean, maybe a little bit of alien-tinged profanity, but basically kind of something for for the mainstream audience. So it just seems like, yeah, it's it's a different vision once once the CEO is out of the picture, whether, you know, by death or, you know, thrown off the chairman of the board or whatnot. It just becomes a different company. Warner Brothers animating those politically incorrect cartoons decades ago. They're not going to make those sort of things nowadays, but they put the disc- it's one of those cool disclaimers. It says we're, we're not going to change or revise history. This, this shows it as intended at that time. It's a historical document. One of the greatest uh, sets that I have on DVD, and I, re- I remember talking about this at length in the old podcast, is um, when Disney w- was releasing the, the tin collections and it was um, Disney during World War II. And to see the Nazi propaganda films that Disney produced, yes, it's very jarring 
It's very jarring when you think of what Disney is and, and what it stands for. But there was that side that got very dark and very twisted to serve a political need. It's like you said with Warner Brothers, where they say, hey, you know, we can't pretend it didn't happen. And you won't leave us the fuck alone about wanting to watch them. So here it is, but keep it in historical context. Whenever they would show cartoons in like the 80s and 90s, they were they, they were so butchered. And I remember being a kid going, where's the scene where the, the character holds a stick of dynamite and then they don't show the after effect and all that because they're so worried that kids are going to emulate what they see. And, you know, unfortunately, the, the more racially charged issues, uh, particularly with dynamite, is you'd have a character have dynamite blow up in their face and then they were in blackface. So a little, little sensitive by today's standards. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. Uh, since you brought up the Muppets, I guess it was revealed, you know, most recently that Miss Piggy put out a press release saying that her and Kermit are no longer a thing. And now after that, <laughs> it has come out that Kermit does is seeing someone new. Uh, who is this this new Muppet character? uh piece of ass that he's going after first things first she is also of the same species i guess you would call it as miss piggy she she is a pig as well her name is denise kermit was pretty quick to hop on social media today and say this isn't his quote new girlfriend she she's a friend somebody he's known for a while and you know they're just being cool with each other friends uh, with benefits i got it friends with with porking benefits i guess you could say yeah so kermit's in a lot of denial and i think this is brilliant what they're doing where they're they're creating this tension creating this drama throughout social media and and all these websites are picking up on it i mean I, i've got it up in google right now and you've got articles from usa today and the guardian i mean everybody time magazine they're all jumping on this i think it's great i think it's fucking awesome doing this type of really weird twisted build-up to this new show coming out this is honestly i think it's great viral marketing because it's fucking hilarious you're not hurting anybody in the process and if you have history with these characters it is it's a fucking riot and i can't wait to see how this progresses closer to the release date which i believe is coming up really really soon i don't know if uh, denise the pig has a less dysfunctional relationship with kermit than uh, miss piggy kermit i feel i've always felt bad for kermit in that kind of abusive situation <laughs> They're certainly portraying Denise as appearing certainly uh, younger, I guess you would say more sexed up than Miss Piggy, more shapely, thinner. So there's definitely that whole, maybe she's even out of Kermit's League type thing. Is she one of those rich, spoiled, entitled Kardashian types? You know, as of today, we only have the, the photo. Hopefully within the next uh, week or so, we'll actually get some video and some interaction. <laughs> Start piecing this uh, sword love affair more together, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just legitimately enjoying the shit out of it. When I see it come across my newsfeed, I just, I laugh out loud. Uh, and Disney uh, doing doing wonderful things there with, with the Muppets and, and their relaunch with uh, successful movies of the past couple of years and now the new series. But looks like the NYPD of all people would like some help from the House of Mouse regarding cosplaying panhandlers in Times Square. Now, you've seen this, right? You, you've seen some of these interactions with some of these costume characters with people on the strip and shit. I'm sure you've seen videos. I mean, so, I mean, what, what's your go-to reaction about that? I think it's hilarious. <laughs> people could be as rabid about that as they are MMA and Ronda Rousey and all that. It's like, oh, let's watch these people beat the... Look, it's Mickey beating Spider-Man. Oh, there's, there's Jack Sparrow beating up Fat Batman. And you right there, my friend, has highlighted kind of what the issue is. And on August 20th, New York City Mayor 
uh, Bill de Blasio announced a task force to kind of address this problem of costumed, and I, I didn't even know this was a thing, topless individuals in Times Square. He says millions of families come to Times Square every year to see and experience the bustling metropolis of New York City, the crossroads of the world. Uh, and you expect that experience might be diminished with the, pro- the proliferation of topless individuals and costume characters who too often harass people and expose families to inappropriate acts. And I have to say, you know, given what I've seen on YouTube, that is certainly the case. The NYPD, who has set up this task force to deal with these costume characters, they've attempted, I guess apparently for some years now, to attempt to solicit the help from Disney, who owns a lot of the characters that these people are costuming as. According to CNN Money, however, what they've said is that for years they've been working with the previous and current administrations, as well as the city council, trying to get legislation passed that require registration and identification of the costume characters. This is what Disney's saying. Because really the first thing that popped into my head when I read this article was, it's a very slippery slope for Disney to step in on. I don't know how much success you would have with a blanket ban if you just made it outright illegal for people to costume as Disney characters because it's going to permeate into a lot more than just these people in Times Square. We've all heard the horror stories about Disney demanding uh, preschools and daycares take decals and and paintings off the walls because it infringes on their character rights. Um, So you can have people doing it rogue anyway. More so, I think the bigger problem is if Disney did set up a type of registration and identification of the characters as they're actually suggesting, I think it puts them in a dangerous spot in terms of liability. Because if you've got some drunk asshole molester dressed up as a Disney character and he decides to really embarrass a family visiting New York, that liability in turn would turn to Disney. So I could see why they've had some talk, but not any action in a few years. And honestly, I think even with the setup of this task force to try to deal with the issue, I don't think Disney is going to get their hands dirty on this. I don't think that it's, you know, it's not enforceable. I mean, here in L.A., I could go to Hollywood Boulevard and see all these trademark characters, and they're obviously not the official, you know, endorsed ones. They're just, you know, street panhandlers trying to make money. And you imagine being a five, six-year-old kid. Careful, don't meet your heroes because they'll, they'll let you down. It's like, it's Goofy. And then Goofy goes, oh, you want a picture? That'll be $37. And I'm like, oh, crap, he just wants money. Don't mind my dick wagging out in front of your kid's face either because, you know, by day, I'm a homeless person. <laughs> Let's just have officially sanctioned uh, MMA fights featuring <laughs> cosplayers trying to be these trademark characters. You know, it, it's turf battles. It, it's all like the same things you'd hear about being a John and running prostitutes or being a drug dealer. where like, that's your corner. And that's what all this shit's about. And I don't know. Uh, it's pretty disgusting. Like you said, you know, for, for kids being exposed to this, it's going to be really horrific. You go back home, you're like, no, I don't want to hear when you do the poo before I go to bed. You're giving me nightmares. In our chat room, Gio of Dia says, how do they deal with it in front of the Chinese theater? Man's Chinese theater here in Hollywood. Uh, don't they have to get licenses or something? It's like, well, who would you go to to get licenses Anyway, I mean, these are all like multiple studios and owners, and I don't really know how you would enforce that. I mean, there's police marching up and down on Hollywood.
Hollywood Boulevard, but there's also fights breaking out between the public and, and you got the, the, the panhandlers, people that are just burning blank discs saying, hey, man, buy my rap album. Come on, make a donation. Come on, come on, come on, come on. It's it, it's annoying. It's 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 I imagine the same problem is going on in Times Square where it's like you just want to get from point A to point B. These are tourist traps and it just becomes a, just a source of extreme frustration, if not downright anger and people just getting pissed off and just decking them. And again, that's kind of the scarier aspect of it. It's not the locals that are going to these places who are acclimated to that big city environment. You have mom and pop and the, and the kids coming from Arkansas, Missouri, and, and some of the more innocent states, I guess, who aren't really accustomed to this type of shit. You're dealing with enough in a place like New York and L.A. to have this compounding issue. It is kind of ridiculous. And I do understand you know, the need to have some type of enforcement, and I absolutely agree with it. But um, logistically, yeah, it's a fucking nightmare. They're like cockroaches. You get rid of one, another ten are going to come in their place. I got to ask you, though, did you see the official licensed Dragon Ball Z costumes that are now available in Japan? No, I didn't know they had those. This was just announced today, and, you know, I got to say, interesting. I don't know if it's a professional cosplayer quality, but it's certainly the highest quality costumes that have ever been released for Dragon Ball Z. I would buy a head mask and just mount it. I think they're pretty cool. What I saw today, and I know there's others, but I saw Piccolo and uh, Frieza, and they come with the full body costume along with the full head mask. It's not prosthetic that you would glue on or anything. It's, it's an over-the-head mask. Um, but yeah, interesting. Definitely the highest quality and relatively cheap, about 80 bucks in Japan. So I'd like to see them come over stateside. Well, for 14 or 14.50 from Hot Topic, I picked up the uh, color-changing uh, Dragon Ball Z coffee mug with Goku powering up. So as you fill it with hot coffee or any hot liquid, the power-up energy around Goku starts lighting up on the thing. And this sold out instantly. And now, if you want to get a hold of this, you know, Hot Topic sold out online and in stores everywhere. So now, and the third-party mark aftermarket is now in full force on eBay with prices upward of $100. I dig it. You know, it's not new technology. It's been around for quite some time. I dig seeing Goku uh, powering up. I thought that was pretty badass. I'm going to put you on the spot here and ask you, what level is Goku powering up to on your cup? Well, it's not over 9,000 because I don't fill the cup all the way. If you filled the cup all the way, then he would completely power up. I cringed watching your video. I'm like, top the cup off. It's not going up all the way. The OCD in me is still really fucked up because that, that top pike, that top little point there to his, his power up was never there. It never was there. And, and here's the problem with that. You like drinking coffee black. I got to put a shit ton of creamer in it. So if there's no room for creamer, there's a problem. I hear you. Maybe, I don't know, a cup of tea or something. Do a reshoot. Post that. I mean, it does as advertised. It, it just, uh, maybe I need the coffee to be hotter. I don't know. I use a Keurig. But yeah, definitely cool. And I'd like to see them do a, a wider variety of Dragon Ball Z characters. Again, yeah. live in a day and age where display your geek proud. You know, I, I bring that to work and have it on my desk all day. And speaking of proud geeks, it's time for this Proud Geek podcast to call it quits. Uh, we're, we are out of time, but we do want to thank everyone like Gio Dia and Tara Chihime. Of course, folks like Alan S. Sigmund 88. Uh, everyone else that, that, that took the time to join us on our live stream. If you want to be a part of it as we record our new episodes, join us on Wednesday evenings. Sometimes it changes, but follow us at BB broadcast you'll know that we'll be doing a live audio stream wednesday nights 9 p.m eastern 6 p.m pacific you can listen in as we record 
We'll chime in and, and see what you guys are talking about as we're talking about all the geeky news you can use. So, until next time, this is Kyle Bear, And this is Otherworld Steve. See ya! Special thanks to Will Wilkins and Jason Peer. Music provided by Zero Reynolds. Follow us on Twitter at DB Broadcast and email thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at smodcast.com.